here we are, Plodcast 15. Welcome to Plodcast, your Plodcast podcast. So I want to say, uh, let's talk a little bit about current events, and this would be an ongoing issue. Uh, it's always going to it's going to be an issue for a long time. And I want to talk about the war on energy. The war on energy. Uh, whenever anybody comes up with a an effective method of producing energy, you can depend upon it that the left will declare war on it. The, the left will declare war on any form of energy that produces cheap, abundant energy. Uh, they want energy to be expensive. They want energy to be cumbersome. They want energy to be hard to get. And uh, I think this has certain implications for Christians as we think about this. Um, I just read today, on, I just read something online where um, Scott Pruitt, who's the current head of the EPA, uh, declared the war on coal over. So the Democrats were um, attacking coal plants and making it difficult for coal miners to live there, trying to shut down coal mines, and they succeeded uh, with a lot of them. Um, and uh, so they had declared war on coal, and uh, Scott Pruitt has declared the war on coal over. I want to, uh, but I want to dig down a little bit deeper. Uh, coal uh, provides currently cheap, abundant uh, energy. If you if you want to follow, if you want to follow up on this, a, a book recommend in passing would be the moral, the moral case for fossil fuels. But um, right right now we have centuries of uh, available coal, known resources in the ground that we can get at. Um, at our current levels of usage, um, North America is the Saudi Arabia of coal, and uh, we, we have a lot of it, and we could, we could expend energy at our current rates um, and not run out for centuries. So we have cheap, abundant energy. And then, as certain restrictions have been applied to uh, natural gas and to, uh, to oil and to, to coal, um, different ingenious types have come up with other techniques like fracking uh, to, get to, to get more uh, energy out of the ground. And, of course, the, those uh, sources of energy, fracking instantly became a villain, and, um, and all sorts of outrageous lies were are, are told about it. The reason I want to, the reason I brought this up is I want to, I want to point out that the war on inexpensive energy, the, the war on cheap forms of energy is a war on the poor. The war on cheap energy is a war on the poor. Um, advocating for expensive boutique energy forms, um, wind you know windmills and uh, solar panels and so on is um, that's a, that's a rich man's game if you're poor you can't afford to throw money into the sky and if you let's say you build a windmill and it's arguable if uh, if a windmill over the course of its lifetime could produce enough energy to make one windmill 
if that's the kind of uh, if that's the kind of system you're in, you are you're burning money. Right? That's what you're doing. You're burning money. Now, the the reason this matters to the Christian is uh, it says in James two sixteen that if you see someone who's destitute, if you see someone who's poor, and then you tell him, be warmed and filled. This is the attitude that uh, Marie Antoinette probably didn't say this, but she's attributed to have said, uh, the, the, people, the poor people have no bread, and she says, let them eat cake. Well, why, if they don't have bread, then why don't they, why don't they eat cake? Well, she didn't, uh, it's not like she probably didn't say that, but that's the attitude. Um, well, why, why don't we subsidize solar panels? Why don't we subsidize windmills? Why don't we uh, investigate alternative forms of energy? Well, uh, here's a thought experiment. Solar and wind and these sorts of quote-unquote sustainable forms of energy are, just as an aside, they're not sustainable. But if, if uh, they're, they're called sustainable because they, they are low yield. All right? If you have um, a high yield form of energy, probably the highest yield would be something like a nuclear reactor. Um, a low yield um, low yield form of energy is the liberal progressives friend because it's low yield if someone invented a solar panel let's say someone figured out some kind of technology to make solar a high a high yield uh, form of energy where because of this uh, new kind of solar panel everybody had basically free energy or, or close to free energy, really inexpensive energy, uh, you can depend upon it that, that that particular kind of solar panel would be the, the enemy of the progressive left overnight because they don't want people burning fuel. They don't want, they don't want people using energy productively. And they want low yields. They want to. They want to keep that kind of um, thing down. Well, James tells us that if you if you run across someone who's destitute and poor, you need to feed him. You need to fill him up, and you need to warm him up. You can't just say be warmed and filled. You have to warm him. You have to feed him. And in order to feed him, you have to. Uh, have energy to warm in order to warm and feed him you have to have energy to warm him and food to feed him and because he's poor and because there are a lot of poor people you have to have cheap energy to warm him and you have to have cheap food uh, to fill him so we can't turn to you if you want to feed a poor man you don't go down to the farmers market to to buy him a $4 tomato. Um, now, I, I don't have anything against $4 tomatoes, not at all, but that it's a luxury item. When, when people buy $4 tomatoes, it's a luxury item. When people go in for certain forms of energy, it's a luxury item. If someone tiles their driveway with um, asphalt tiles that have got conductors inside that will, you know, that will heat his heat his bath water for him, and my bath my bath is heated up by my driveway. Uh, okay, that's 
that's really cool. I'm glad you I'm glad you can afford a a bath and a driveway that that do this. But that let's be honest, that's a luxury item. That's not for regular folks. Regular folks, poor people who want to eat, shop at Walmart. They want and notice that if someone produces cheap energy, they are the enemy of the liberals and the friend of the poor. Um, if someone produces cheap, accessible food, they are the enemy of the liberals and the friend of the poor. Um, poor people don't have the same right, the, the same access to luxuries that uh, that liberals do, and so we ought to we we have to come to grips with what's actually going on. The war on cheap energy is the war on the poor, and the Bible prohibits that kind of mentality. You can't just um, ignore people who are destitute. You can't just tell them, be warmed and filled. So, book plug time. Um, one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite authors is P.G. Woodhouse. Uh, Overlook Press is re-releasing all of his books in a nice hardback edition, matching set edition, and uh, and I've I've been reading Woodhouse for decades. I've been I've just, but he he wrote like ninety books, so he was a prolific author. He wrote over ninety over ninety books, and uh, I'd been reading them scattershot for many many years, and then I noticed. Um, uh, Oh, this would be probably, oh, maybe 10 years ago uh, now. Uh, I noticed um, at my daughter's house, uh, this is when they were over in England, we were visiting them. I noticed uh, a copy of this new set that Overlook Press was releasing. It was, uh, it was a copy of Jill the Reckless, I remember. And I thought, oh, that's a, that's a nice set. And uh, that's a nice um, volume. And so I ordered it when I got home. I, I think I started reading it there and then ordered it when I got home and finished. And I decided I was going to read through, Lord willing, Lord willing, I was going to read through all of Woodhouse's um, books systematically. And so uh, what I did is I would order one of these Overlook Press books and start reading it. And then when I was about halfway through it, I would order another one. And that way, I, so I'm always reading, uh, uh, always reading a Woodhouse. And I've probably... Probably by that means I've gotten through about sixty of them, so about thirty to about thirty to go, and of course a number of these books I had um, read before in some fashion or other. But this is sort of the systematic treatment. I'm I'm going through the whole, going through the whole set. If you were to ask me, so Woodhouse is one of my favorite writers. He's one of my favorite crafters of metaphor. He's just a genius when it comes to it comes to metaphors, comic metaphors, uh, particularly, and um, so favorite writer, favorite uh, crafter of metaphors. If you were if you were to ask me um, uh, what my favorite Woodhouse books are, that's somewhat difficult because past a certain point they all run together. I read them primarily for the descriptions and for the metaphors, and the plots are fun, but they're not. Most of the time, the plots are not memorable uh, and they kind of run to, and they the books all kind of run together um, but they're still a delight they're still a delight to read if you asked do any of the books really really stand out I would say uh, 
Yeah, uh, three of them stand out. And and if you're not a Woodhouse reader, I would start with um, start with these. But the, the 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 book I'm commending to you today is Leave It to Smith. Leave It to Smith, and I have to spell Smith. It's P S M I T H Smith. The P is silent. Leave It to Smith. So this is the hero of the book, and he he meets a uh, girl uh, named Eve Halliday, uh, and uh, those of you who have read my recent novel, The Flags Out Front, there, there's a B character, a, a, like a subplot in that book, a, a, guy, a character named Smith, and he's got a girlfriend named, named Eve Halliday, and that's, um, a hat, that's a hat tip to Woodhouse, that's a hat tip to this book. And the Smith in my book is very much like Smith in um, Leave it to Smith. Um, that is, he's omnicompetent, uh, ingenious, and what you what uh, Woodhouse frequently does is he has his uh, uh, the young lady, the heroine, uh, the love interest usually is uh, what Woodhouse would describe as a pippin, uh, really, uh, really cute, really vivacious, really intelligent, and something of an antinomian. So um, his cute little heroin girls are uh, are renegades. They cause all kinds of problems and they have um, dubious attitudes toward decorum and propriety. So um, in this book, uh, well, I need to contract, let me mention a couple of other books. Uh, Joy Comes in the Morning is a, is a Bertie and Jeeves um, book. And another one, The Code of the Woosters is a Bertie and Jeeves book. Um, so if you're if you're going to start reading Woodhouse, I'd recommend one of those three: Code of the Woosters, Joy Comes in the Morning, um, and Leave It to Smith. With Bertie Wooster, who's the lead character, his and he's got a uh, personal attendant, a valet um, named Jeeves, who is a brain and omnicompetent. Uh, Bertie Wooster is affable, kindly, funny, but kind of a buffoon and um and as as a buffoon he just sort of stumbles his way into scrapes that Jeeves gets him out of um Smith on the other hand is sort of the male equivalent of the typical uh female lead in a Woodhouse book he he is omnicompetent he is really sharp and he is something of an antinomian so um leave it to Smith is just it's just Hilarious. I'll just put it that way. Uh, reading Woodhouse is uh, frequently a laugh-out-loud experience. I think C.S. Lewis describes himself one time shaking with laughter um, in his uh, chair reading Woodhouse. Be like C.S. Lewis. So, uh, the Apostle Peter uses the word atheismos twice. And our translators have rendered it as wicked. In the first instance, which was which is in Second Peter two seven, he's treating the subject of Lot and how he was continually exasperated by the filthy behavior of the inhabitants of Sodom. In the second, which is in Second Peter three seventeen, he is warning the recipients of his letter not to be led astray. If they if they were led astray, they would be falling into the error of the wicked. So. First, um, 
Lot was exasperated by the, the, the wicked behavior of the inhabitants of Sodom. And in the second, Peter is saying not to be led astray. If they, if they are led astray, they'll, they'll fall into the error of the wicked. Now, in the, latter in, in, in the latter instance, the alternative is for them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus, which is in the next verse in 3.18. One of the things that Christians today have to learn how to do is how to keep it simple. We don't know the course of rationalization that led to Lot living where he did, but it had to have been complex, akin to what a lot of Christians today are doing on similar subjects. We know that God destroyed Sodom, and we know why he destroyed Sodom. What we don't know is how many long-term committed relationships there were in Sodom. Neither should we care. Growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus is directly related to the avoidance of wickedness. Sad to say, this assertion is now officially controversial in some Christian quarters. So let's go back to um, the, the easy and somewhat popular disparagement of someone like Lot. You know, every, see, when, when you're reading the account in Genesis of the destruction of Sodom, and you see how the, um, how the story ends, you see that, you know, with sulfur and brimstone and Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt and everything, uh, it's very easy for uh, modern Christians to look at that and say, well, uh, and then Peter says, uh, righteous Lot was vexed in his soul by, the, by this wicked behavior. And, um, and you rem if you read the whole story, you remember that Lot wound up, um, after the destruction of the cities of the plain, Lot and his two daughters were up in the, uh, in the mountains uh, in a cave, and his daughters, I think, were assuming that the world had ended. Um, and they needed to repopulate the world, so they they uh, conspired to get their father drunk and to have sex with him while he was drunk. So uh, Lot became uh, the the father of two um, different lines through his daughters of um, of two different nations, two different tribes came from him because um, he. He got drunk and he had sex with his daughters, had incestual, incestuous sex with his daughters. And then these were the daughters, remember, that he had, he had offered to the, um, uh, to the crowd of sodomites outside of his house demanding to know the angels. So uh, Lot, is, Lot is not a shining beacon, right? We, and we, look at, we look at Lot's behavior and say, oh man, that's just... That's just terrible. And then Peter says, righteous Lot was vexed. And we say, how's that, you know, how's that possible? How can he, well, he was obviously comparatively righteous. He was related to Abraham. He, he cared about standards of hospitality. He was opposed to what the inhabitants of Sodom wanted to do to the angels. And it's not that he wanted his daughters to be violated, but he'd rather that than to have the angels, um, than the angels violated. He was... So he was uh, upset, but in, ineffectually upset. It's also striking that when he offers his daughters to the crowd outside, uh, they they respond with a taunt. This man came, uh, he's an outsider, and, and now he's setting himself up as a judge. How, how dare he judge our behavior? Um, 
and th- so they're quoting to Lot, you know, judge not lest you be judged or something, that, that kind of thing. Well, compared to the inhabitants of Sodom, Lot was righteous. Compared to them, he was righteous. He, he, still, he was still maintaining some kind of standard, and they didn't like it. Now, the, the thing that is, uh, and we look at that and we sniff at him, uh, we say, I, I can't believe that God would call him righteous or God, God would accept someone like Lot um, after his behavior like that. Except that, you know, look, he didn't take a stand. Except that he took more of a stand than many Christians today in Manhattan would do or many Christians today in San Francisco would do. Um, So we have people who are uh, hired by, you know, most American corporations are extremely gay-friendly and you know, if they come around and say, hey, it's human, it's pride day, and everybody's got to put a little flag on their desk, um, how many Christians refuse? How many Christians flat refuse? And out of all those uh, thousands of Christians who don't refuse, or those many Christians who, in government service or in corporate America, all those Christians who keep their their heads down, let's say, a hundred thousand. Let's say we rounded up a hundred thousand who managed to navigate the uh, the current full court press on these issues, and then we interview the and we had all one hundred thousand of those people keep who keep their heads down to read Genesis, just beginning to end, and just say read Genesis and tell me what you think. How many of them would come back with questions about how could Rot, how could Lot be considered a good guy? Um, I can't believe I can't believe that guy. He, you know, look what he did. So, we we need to be more attuned to what's actually going on in uh, scripture than we frequently are. God in the time of the sickness. God in the doctor too. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.